0: This is Moss Whelan and the BIXVA podcast, Forget Reality. And I'm talking with Carl Johansson about Neoopsis. Hello, Carl.
1: Hi. Nice to hear from you
0: again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Neoopsis, we're, we're in Canada. Uh, we're in British Columbia. And is, is there a kind of a BC flavor to Neoopsis? um that's
1: a really good question i uh, hadn't really thought of it in those terms um sometimes you get surprised by that um by a question like that my wife's an artist and when we went to the f- first time we went to a science fiction conference in banff she um she looked at the trees there and said i realize i'm a west coast artist because all my trees look like west coast trees not like the ones here." Aww. So. It may be that there's a West Coast flavor to it that I don't personally see or notice that somebody else who's uh, uh, from somewhere else might go, oh, they've got this kind of style to them. But uh, I'm going to have to think on that question more, and I can't give you a definitive answer right now.
0: Oh, sure, yeah, Let, let's ruminate. Uh, I, I, re- I My mind went to uh, a sourdough example because I, I just made a sourdough starter, and I heard that... Um, it tastes different, of you know, that the yeast is different in each, in the air, in each place. And then if you take your sourdough starter somewhere else, uh, that the yeast will change and adapt to that.
1: No, oh, yeah, makes sense. It's not something you'd think of. There's probably a good science fiction story in that where somebody from one planet to another, they and tries the bread there and then likes it or more or doesn't like it or something because the yeast is varied that much from planet to planet,
0: or it may be something like you know, <laughs> stomach flora, uh, like say when a person moves to a different uh, continent or a different country, that that their stomach flora adjusts, and uh, this is this something that Neoopsis would be interested in? Like say usually when you're going through and looking at submissions is. Do you sort of go? um, We
1: yeah, it's it's not something I would would reject out of hand based on the premise. To be sure, Um, we we never um, accept a story for you know um, based on just the idea ahead of time. Like we all want to read it. Um, Some magazines, somebody will make a pitch saying, "I want to do an article about uh, X," or "I want to do a story about Y." And then the writer will write it. Then, where in our case, people have finished the story and got it to us. So, yeah, it's it's not something we would reject out of hand. But uh, the 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 usual advice I give writers is that um, for something that I like, that it's a cool idea. um, Whether stomach flora affects things, uh, your your sense of taste, uh, your health, um, whether uh, the yeast is going to affect it. Don't just give me the idea. Give me the implications of the idea. Like, yeah. how is this panning out in in the story? How is it affecting the characters? How is it affecting society? Because if you just if you just uh, end the story with and ta-da, these are different on these two planets. People are going to be left wondering. Well, okay, that's that's a thing, but you know, what's where's the story to it? Yeah. And right. uh, one example I like to, yeah one example I like to use is. If you end a story with, and guess what? Aliens built the pyramids! You probably don't have that good a story because, one, it's been done lots of times, and two, it's just a kicker ending with no point. But um, the TV series Stargate and its sequels based their story on aliens built the pyramids um, and then ran multiple seasons because they told us stories about what that world's like, the implications of the idea, not just the idea.
0: And, And then, of course, the characters... And what the characters are going through, um, their struggles
1: mm-hmm. yeah, how, how they're responding to it, uh, how they 're responding to the situations and the, the idea, and the, 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 even if it is just you know a, a story about a single big idea um, yeah you 've got to have an impact uh, what 's going on uh, in the story to me, right yeah. there, um, Twilight Zone ended some stories with it and said, "Ah, this amazing thing happened and or here's here 's what 's actually going on. And they were good at those kind of stories, Um, but uh, not every story works uh, done in that format. And it's not always often. Again, when you ask specifically, would neo-opsis consider this? It's like, yeah, give me the implications, not just the idea.
0: Uh, Usually when there's there's
1: another problem with if if somebody has got a really good idea, like whatever the idea is, um, say uh, that there's uh, squids living in uh, liquid helium on Pluto, and if I say that was a really cool idea, uh, twenty people sending me stories about squids living in the liquid helium on uh, Pluto probably isn't going to get twenty sales. Because I, you know, once we've published one story with an interesting premise, um, the next ones that are virtually the same premise, albeit a different take on it, probably have to be a little more exceptional.
0: And so you're going to be it's looking to be at accepted. you're going to be looking at more than just a hook or just a concept you're going to be looking at, say how it's told, and uh, does it does it grip you and, and you know take you on uh, question after question, right? Yes, yeah.
1: yeah, well said.
0: Yeah, uh, um, there's uh,
1: any any number of ways that can pan out, but uh, yeah, you can't rely just on a hook. You
0: know, <laughs> when you're when you're starting out with uh, an, an issue of neoopsis. Um, like say, uh, do you have it, uh, scheduled? Um, like, uh, you know, how do you go about letting people know, okay, now it's time to submit to us?
1: Um, we, we normally, our website has, uh, submission guidelines listed on it. We're closed for submissions at the moment, but, uh, when we're open, we, uh, we post it there and then on our social media site, on uh, our page for Facebook and Twitter and uh, things like that, and let uh, groups like SF Canada know and uh, probably some other Canadian science fiction-related uh, Facebook groups. We'll tell them that we're ready for that. As for schedule, we, we intended to work to a schedule initially, but uh, practical realities got in the way, and it's uh, we do as best we can when we can. Um, to uh, to get the issues out, but not not to a, a specific time frame,
0: right? And it it does yeah. sound like there's uh, an avenue of communication, even word of mouth, in in a way, to to get the word out that uh, say you know submissions are open and
1: yeah, that's, that helps a lot. Um, we have a number of people uh, who subscribe to the magazine who said they don't like science fiction, but they knew us or they knew people who knew us. And they said, "Oh well, I'll, I'll get it, you know, just to uh, support somebody we know, or you know, somebody we who knows we know who knows somebody." Oh, yeah. um, and then they went, "I really like science fiction. <laughs> um, it's you know they they have a similar taste to what we're putting out, and it, it doesn't mean we're necessarily publishing the best science fiction, but we're." publishing the type of story that works for us Mm -hmm. and that's going to work for some people. And if they, somebody reads four or five issues and go, these are okay, but they're not really my style. There are other, you know, magazines with different editorial slants and they might go, Oh no, this is the kind of stuff I'm looking for. And that's great in both cases. It's even better when they like our stuff though.
0: Well, and I mean, I'm even thinking of say, uh, um, say supporting, Somebody, uh, a newer writer, that say, you know, they're se- sending something, and there's that opportunity to, um, you, you see, we we might be seeing, say, like the the next William Gibson or something, and this might be their first story, their first step.
1: Yeah, it's very possible. It's it's by uh, happenstance. It's turned out that some of the writers we published, um, it was either their first or very near their first stories. Um, but we've never put a quota on that. We've never said, okay, we're going to have to make sure, whatever, 20% of our stories are completely new authors to support new authors. Right, we've right. only ever just published what we thought were good stories. So if, uh, if you see a name you've never seen before, you don't have to look at our magazine and go, oh, this might be one of their quota guys for new writers. Maybe I'll just skip this one. If you see a writer whose name you haven't seen before, we thought it was a good story, so if you've been liking the stories in the magazine, there's a really good chance you'll like this next one, um, regardless if you know the if you recognize the name or not. Um, we were lucky enough to get uh, a story by Dave Duncan in uh, one of our issues, um, so, and uh, he's extremely well known. He passed away a few years ago, but I mean he's he's published uh, just under sixty novels. So extremely well-known, extremely good writer. Um, it was more fantasy than science fiction, but, uh, you know, it, it, we, it was a Dave Duncan story, right? I wanted to just say yes the second he asked if he could submit it, but, you know, I knew to be fair, I should read it through first. <laughs>
0: just in case. And I did, and it was wonderful. Oh, I, I remember seeing, um, I think, uh, is, was it Robert Runte who give, gave the, or a memorial? Or, a, yes. uh, uh, like, say, he, he, he said something at the... Uh... Yeah, at a memorial for Dave Duncan's funeral, uh,
1: Robert I gave a good presentation. And if you search, uh, you Memorial Robert Runte, um, Dave Duncan, um, on YouTube, you'll find a video I, I got and got permission to uh, upload post from him. And that includes a little bit of an interview I did uh, with Dave as well. Um, very interesting person. Um, one of those people, every time he talked about how to write, I had my ears wide open and I didn't always follow or grasp all the nuances of what he was saying, but right, he, he yeah. knew what he was doing very well. Uh, um, every now and then he'd say, this is my last novel. I'm getting too old. And then, you know, we'd meet <laughs> him again and he'd be like, Oh, I wrote another one or I'm working on another one. So oh, shit sure. It seemed like he'd keep going on for decades, but, uh, as, as with all of us, he was mortal too.
0: And, uh, I, I liked, I, I was, I like your videos be, because of that, because say, uh, you know, say I get to, I get to see Dave Duncan and, um, it, it's almost like, say we're sort of following your path with these videos. Uh, we talked recently about, uh say videotaping, um, not just VCon, but I think I've seen other, um, conventions, conferences where you've taped panels and, and just the, it, you know, say very good, very good for, um, what is it called? Is it documenting or archiving? Uh, yeah, yeah. The,
1: the ideas are recorded, um, and a lot of a lot of them are really good ideas. Um, you know, one in ten thousand of my ideas when I'm speaking isn't any good, but you know, most of them are. Good. <laughs> so uh, yeah, there there is uh, quite quite a bit of uh, good information uh, and idea exchanges, and not just. You know, uh, opinions and fights, but um, exchanges and giving you the opportunity to look at something from a different perspective um, at the conventions. And that, again, is something that's good in science fiction and fantasy, too, is even if it's a, a way of looking at something or an idea you don't agree with, sometimes there is a merit in considering other ways of looking at things. And... That's, that to me is, the, you know, the best science fiction convention is when you see that sort of thing going on. It's like, oh, well, I'm going to think about this idea. Not necessarily, wow, he's a 100% right or she's really got the slant on this, but I'm going to think about what they said.
0: That, that, that's something I, I find myself struggling with occasionally as far as, um, say, fandom and, say, um, quite different, uh, quite different ideas, quite different beliefs. And uh, navigating that, trying to um, you know sort of keep that balance. Say g- getting back to Neoopsis, is, is is that something that you find um, is that is that difficult for you? Is that difficult for Neopsis? In um, like say do you, like say do you find people sending in things that are challenging? They're well told. It's a good story and plot. Uh, but say that the content is just—it uh, it doesn't work. Um, there
1: was one case where I might have reacted that way, but the, the way our, sto- our stories come in, my um, my wife Stephanie uh, reads all of the stories and says no to most of them, and then I make a final decision on the ones that, that are left over. Ah. And in this, in one case, there was a story by Janine Cross called "The Power of Love." And she wrote a note on it saying, you're going to want to reject this story in the first page, but I suggest you read it all the way through. And part of the issue was one of the characters was selling endangered animal parts for aphrodisiacs, which is reprehensible, right? (laughs) Um, But the point of the story is not that that's a good thing. It's in fact the opposite. It's just that point develops through the story as... This person who thinks, well, I'm selling perfectly natural things, I'm not selling fake drugs like those drug companies, I'm the good one. And her learning to see things from the perspective of the aliens who come to Earth and are aghast by the fact that she does this um, learns from it. But had I just reacted to this, uh, the first- reacted at the start to the premise of, oh, I don't like this character at all, I would have said no to a bad story. So my assistant an so editor did a wonderful thing in suggesting, you know, you really want to read all of this.
0: <laughs> so the, yeah, don't stop.
1: <laughs> yeah, because um, it's it's again a um, there's a difference between a racist character in a story, and a story that says, um, you know, the blue people are all inferior to us orange people. Um, mm, the, mm. the racist character may be the. The wall that the message of racism isn't a good idea is bouncing off of um, as an example so I try to watch for that but we have had some stories that were basically you know this group of people are way worse than that group of people and they're all evil and uh, they never do good you know and that's the point of the story it's not one of the characters misperceptions And so that's an easy no for that one
0: and, and, and interesting to hear. Not much
1: of a challenge to decide on that one or not. <laughs> but not very many. Not very many, to be honest. You know, it's was uh, 6,400 stories, you know, maybe about 10 like that.
0: Oh, okay. Okay. And yeah. And
1: um, Those are the sometimes easy sometimes ones. The oh,
0: sorry? Oh, I was, I was saying uh, those were the easy ones, I guess, where you get the red flag. You can almost, yeah. you know, smell it. Um, yeah. With, with um,
1: we've had a few where the uh, the English translations were so bad that uh, we had to say, look, this is not just for us, but it's probably unpublishable. You should get a different translator. But the problem is, is I guess their translator was the one saying to them, oh, well, they liked it, but they almost didn't want it. And they want you to keep using me as a translator because one person sent us like five stories in a row that we couldn't even tell what they were about. The English was so bad. I say this as somebody who struggles with the English language as a first language. So, um,
0: oh, and two is is, you know, that, your, is is that uh, like say, do you have a, a, a mother tongue that's not English?
1: No, no, I'm, I'm English. I'm English as a first language, and I and I struggle with English. So. Oh, I see. Okay. People who don't don't speak it as a first language, I empathize with them, but uh, I really hope that one writer managed to get a get a different translator for their work. But we haven't
0: heard from them so i i've had this experience in in writing groups where um really it's about it's about an e s l or it's about a um it's about it's about a translation rather than talking about um the writing talking about the storytelling and um it, it, do you find say that you'll like say you'll be in situations at, say at a convention VCon or otherwise that say, um, not that you would get cornered, but that, um, that you get cornered <laughs> and, and some, say a, a writer is pitching to you and, um, that, that they're say forceful. Have have you, has Neoopsis ever sort of encountered something, uh, almost like say belligerent, uh, you know, author, you know, I demand you publish this.
1: Um, close there's a couple stories I could tell on it like I have had people come up and pitch stories and I'll answer what I answered earlier you know about the story like I can't make a decision on whether we would publish a story with that premise without reading the story you have to write it and I encourage you to and some people are like oh I've been encouraged to write and they take that as an inspiration and other people when I say you'd have to write it first and I encourage you to write it look very dejected and it's almost like, well, I, I didn't actually want to do the work of writing this story. I just wanted to be congratulated for coming up with a premise. and something I can get. Like when I say something cool, it's really nice if people go, wow, that's a really cool factoid you just said there, Carl. Or, you know, wow, you're a cool person for knowing that. You know, that is a response that would feel good. But, you know, in terms of writing a story, if I suggest a story to you, I don't I. And you think, you know, I don't know if that's going to work. That's okay. And if you tell me you think it can work, I know that's only step one of a lot of steps to getting a story published.
0: Mm.
1: And uh, so if I say that to any writer, don't don't ever take it as a dejection. Take it as a, my confidence that you have the possibility of getting through and doing the story. And if it's not us, maybe somebody else that says, well, we like that one. Uh, the, the only, if, if you don't write the story, your chances of publishing it are zero.
0: Yeah, yeah. And no then, matter how,
1: no matter how many people go, what a great idea! Yeah.
0: You know, and they and they slowly start to increase. The more, the more, the more you write, and more the more you work on it. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, y- Partly to the other question, where
1: have anybody been belligerent? Yeah, um, we did get one story submitted where the author included a cover letter that said. Basically, can you believe those assholes at OnSpec magazine didn't publish this story when I sent it to them? <laughs> and which was kind of stunning, right? Yeah. Um, like, we're friends with um, no, numerous people who uh, work for OnSpec magazine, which is uh, another speculative science fiction fantasy magazine uh, published out of Edmonton. Uh, we're friends with pretty much their entire staff. Um, they're great people. Um, and even if we weren't friends with them, like, did they think that would endear us to them? Like, oh, I'm going to run down their competitors. And we don't think of them as competitors. We think of them as, you know, colleagues in the same industry. Um, and, you know, and have great respect for them. So running them down was, like, possibly the worst thing somebody could put in a cover letter. Like, even if it was a great story, which the story didn't fit our needs. That's all I'll say about it. but um so anybody out there thinking of running down the publications who said no to you, don't, don't
0: ever do that. <laughs> it won't help. It's a, yeah, it's and it's, a, it, and it's mean. Yeah. It's a interest, interesting, interesting uh, sales. We, we some
1: people who've run, run down the publications they have been in where basically they said, I've, I've only been in these publications, like these small publications or this ghetto. And I said, you know, don't, don't run down the publications who's, who accepted you. Be proud you're in them. And mm-hmm. you know, yeah. Run them up, you know. Like the the person doing it didn't didn't want to sound arrogant and sound like, well, I've been in all the biggest magazines on the planet. They wanted to be honest about what they'd been published in, but in their attempt to underplay their own work, they were running down their own.
0: Did
1: their it? their uh, the publishers who accepted them, and once I told them that, they got it and they stopped doing that and they changed their cover letters and they changed
0: their their bio. Oh wow. You know, being proud of who, who accepted them, right? So. Right. Yeah, because yeah. I, I was so thinking really self sabotage. <laughs> I was like, oh, you know, I'll just you know blow this up and say, you know, but I'm I'm worth more. And it's like, well, uh, I don't, that's not working. I, I just wanted to shift gears and go back to the beginning of Neoopsis and say that that first issue. Uh, do you um, let's see? Do you remember like you know the time period for the, the first issue?
1: Yeah, around two thousand and six. Um, oh, okay, the, the issue is pretty good. It's um, the cover on it. I think uh, says a lot about the magazine. Where um, my wife Stephanie did the cover, and it's got a, a painting of a dragon holding a missile and ripping the front off the missile.
0: Awesome! And it was
1: kind of a way of saying that while we have science fiction magazine in the title, we will we're, we recognize science fiction and fantasy has a lot of overlap. Right. So it was uh, That's kind of part of the point of the story um i've said in like uh, in talking to you about vcon uh, a little bit that uh, the first issue of uh, neoopsis came out at um, was at vcon um, the, the printer was actually in vancouver so we picked them up on the way to a vcon and that uh, premiered it there uh, and uh, a lot of a uh, lot of interest in it uh, which was, was right nice had a good uh, Good launch party at the VCon, uh, good memories there. Um, that's Ooh, that's yeah. one of the reasons to go to VCon, by the way, on going off on a tangent. Some of the discussion parties are wonderful. Um, mm. The uh, a, a lot of stories very rapidly came in when we made the announcement we were doing the magazine. Um, huge amount, way more stories than we thought we would get. And, of course, part of that was writers started sending stories out by email um, about that time mm-hmm. um, in significant amounts even though email predated that time um, there were still a number of magazines that were requesting that you print the story out double double spaced um, you know the, yes. this format uh, um, to make it easy for their readers to read it but uh, the computer screens were getting better and it was easier to read stories that had been emailed so we were actually surprised by the the wave of uh, of, uh, creativity that came flowing our way and it made it hard to just choose which stories to run.
0: Did, did you have, or do you have uh, a limit? Like say, you know, say if, if you get enough that you like, like say, do you, do you stop or do you say, okay, we're going to make a bigger issue uh, because we have such, you know, um, with, lot...
1: with print um, we were 80 pages. Mm.
0: Um,
1: and part of that was the, the reason for choosing 80 um, was uh, the uh, the way printers worked at the time? If you weren't using Digiprint, um, multiples of eight or sixteen were uh, good numbers to choose, for, mm. because uh, the way the offset printers work, you, when you cut the pages up, you didn't you didn't have to throw a couple pages out. Um, right. You know, mm. if you, if you did uh, if we did seventy eight pages, it actually probably would have cost more to print than if we did eighty pages internal. Mm -hmm. because it wasn't the 78 wouldn't be a multiple of eight so we were on that um with issue 31 we've gone digital only and uh
0: i went up to about just under 100 internal pages Um, okay
1: so well having the having the paper copy in front of you is wonderful in many ways uh, the extra pages we can throw in uh, is an advantage with uh, the digital versions
0: oh yeah good point good point
1: um, we have a limit on the, the word count of the story in our uh, submission guidelines where we say, in general, 6,000 words is about our limit, but we will consider more words than that if it's an exceptional story. And I think we've run two stories that were in the
0: 11,000-word range over the years. Mm, mm. Oh, I have a question about, um, uh, is is neopsis something that, that developed out of uh, the zine scene? Like, say, were you doing zines earlier, or was this a uh, brave new venture?
1: Yeah, um, my, my first uh, foyer into zines was uh, there was a. In the late 70s, 70, like 79, just before the Star Trek The Motion Picture came out, I found out there was a Star Trek club in town, and they meted about uh, half a block from my parents' house. So I was living in my parents' basement, which is appropriate for somebody joining a Star Trek club, of course. <laughs> and uh, um, they did a zine called Trekada. And I did some work on that. I uh, submitted some things to it, including some absolutely ridiculous Star Trek cartoons that were fun. Um, I edited for a while. Um, some of the people in the Trek Club were amazed that I I wanted to write about things other than Star Trek. Right? I'd, I'd kind of mix it up a bit with getting other science ideas in too. And uh, some of them were happy. Oh, good, we've got you know this. Broader and others were like, oh, no, no, this should be only about Star Trek. So different opinions on it. But the the, uh, the Trek scene was fun to do. Um, I've done a ridiculous scene called Raspberry Drink scene, which is just, uh, what's the word? Datism is probably the best bit. It's just a pack full of non sequiturs and silliness that uh, I would do.
0: Ooh, um, nice.
1: In the late 80s, uh, John W. Herbert and I uh, – a news magazine called Under the Ozone Hole. Um, Garth Spencer had done uh, New Canadian Fandom hmm. um, renaming Canadian Fandom an old 50s zine which Garth was a new zine and when he stopped another person did a new zine I can't remember his name off the top of my head Um, And then when it stopped, John and I did this new zine for a while, and uh, we managed to pull four Aurora Awards in in the category for fanzine, which we were pretty proud of. Um, And again, this was one of those team effort things. It was John and I and my wife Stephanie and his wife uh, Monica, who was a master proofreader and uh, huge numbers of people submitting things to us. And it was great fun. And you can find uh, PDF copies of Under the Ozone Hole online still. Um, I, I remember and seeing it was, uh, it
0: and, and and being impressed yeah. yeah oh yeah yeah it was it, you know, it was yeah. cool
1: yeah and we'd uh picked our letter columns and fill up with people you know discussing things on it and uh, we had uh, some wonderful artwork uh, including one of my one of my colleagues dwight Lockhart did a cover of Robert runte where he put Robert's head on the entire cast of Star Trek the Next generation <laughs> and made him made him look like Geordie and like um, Captain Picard and, like, uh, Diana Troy and Dr. Crusher. <laughs> it's, it's brilliant artwork. Um, Beautiful. <laughs> I, I had to call in some favors to be able to afford to print the cover for a fanzine, but uh, oh, right.
0: yeah. it was yeah. really fun to do. Um, so there is some of the tone under the ozone hole in Neoopsis still. Oh, man, yeah, I, I really felt it. Even just, say, upon, say, first impression, right, uh, you know, under the ozone hole, And I see the cover and, uh, you know, I can remember, I can remember connecting, which, which was like, say, just sort of aesthetically going, you know, oh, yeah, I feel this. Um, For for, for Stephanie was, uh, how about, say, doing the cover for Neoopsis, the art? And um, is, is that something, say, for her? Like, uh, does she have, did she have experience before that or was this? A, a, a new experience yeah, Steph,
1: Stephanie's an astounding artist she's been in uh, numerous of the VCon art shows and uh, different things like that um, and while we've pulled in uh, covers from other artists uh, Dan O'Driscoll off the top of my head uh, uh, sometimes it's easier for us to, to get a cover done in house where we can say gee there's this story and it would be nice to have a cover that illustrates that story and finding an artist who looks appropriate and getting them the story and having them time to read it sometimes takes longer than Stephanie who's already read it to do a cover oh. or I, I do a few of the covers as well. I think hers are better than mine, but, uh, um, it's, yeah, the, the in-house art isn't because we don't want other artists just because sometimes just time gets in the way. Is, 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 but, is there uh, a... yeah, our, uh, website, uh, includes a page showing uh, all the covers basically if you go to the more page and then look, you know neopsis covers you can see uh art by uh stephanie and greg hughes adrian kleinberg Murray vincent um, janice blaine uh, jim beveridge um, most of most of whom are canadian um christina price was one where stephanie was at an art show when she saw a painting and thought oh this would be a wonderful cover and so this uh this young high school uh, artist uh, was it was wow! Somebody wants to buy the rights to my painting.
0: <laughs> <So>.
1: <laughs> Always nice.
0: Yeah, I, I and, remember. Uh, I remember learning about that. Like, say, you can um, what is it? You, you can pay to use the image, but you don't owe the own the image unless you're you know purchasing the you know the actual rights to the image, and on and on yeah. and on. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Different, different ways to do that. Um, in addition to uh, under the ozone hole and the, the track scene, uh, I worked on the uh, Worldcon 89 at Miles Boss's house uh, newsletters. Mm-hmm. Um, for anybody who doesn't know Worldcon, Worldcon's like the Olympics where different cities vote on it, and or did to, to get the Olympics in their city that year, and Worldcon, since uh, around the 40s, different cities have been having it, and we put in this bid saying we want to have WorldCon in Miles' yard, uh, you know, bring a tent and that sort of thing. And we did uh, a group of people uh, that's awesome, did these uh, zines where awesome. it was basically, you know, myself, uh, um, Stephanie, and my sister Paula, and her husband uh, Bernie, and uh, John W. Herbert, and Dan Causey, who was good at drawing Miles, uh, we'd sit around and bash ideas together and laugh like lunatics. And most of the ideas were just too outrageous to, to even bother writing down. But John would listen, and then he'd do these newsletters. And uh, we we sent out the first one saying we're bidding, you know, in the 86, we're bidding for Worldcon at Miles's house. And it went viral before going viral was a thing.
0: Right, like right. today,
1: viral's easy. You just repost it. This case, we sent it to a convention, say in Australia, just because we thought it would be funny for them to see it and they'd go out and and photocopy like 400 copies of this and stick it out on their table for people to take and this was happening all over the world that that our our fanzine was viraling you know with with photocopier tech which was really fun and uh so then in, in 1988, I think, when they did the voting, we announced that we won and that every convention in the world was going to be part of World Con at Miles' house for the entire year of
0: 1989. So, <laughs> so bring your there team.
1: was one World Con at Miles' house um, party and a panel at uh, VCon, I think, in '87, which we, is like 10 years ago now, isn't
0: it? Yeah, yeah. It seems like. Uh, <laughs> I was like, is it my sense
1: of time's <laughs> going on me. It's like because it's it's such a fun memory and vivid in my head. It doesn't seem like it's that long ago, but I guess it's closer to twelve years. Yeah.
0: And that's uh, that, and that's important. Like, say, would you say that, say, Neoopsis uh, and and this is just fishing for uh, is is Neoopsis something that say could not have existed without, uh, without fandom, without say, uh, science fiction conventions, um, or would it have been possible without?
1: Um, I think it's, it's possible. Like there's, uh, I said, a, a number the people who are subscribing to the magazine. Um, don't consider themselves science fiction fans. Mm. Um, that, you know, and they, they knew me or they knew relatives or they knew friends and they, they got it. Um, but, uh, a significant percentage of the people are part of what we would call greater fandom, either fanzine fandom or convention fandom or uh, online uh, discussion forum fandom. And they learn about Neoopsis that way, or they see discussions I've been a part of, or Stephanie's been a part of, and think, oh, interesting person, Uh, I want to read that. Or, you know, or the one in... Ten thousand goes. Oh, that's not an interesting person at all. I don't want to read their stuff. So that happens too, right. and which is okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now maybe it's closer to one in one in eight thousand, maybe. Yeah. To be fair, um, but yeah, fandom is uh, it's it's uh, it's interesting. Like it, it's such a such a broad thing. Um, mm. yeah. where uh, fandom initially was fanzine fandom and that was what it was where now if you go to a convention you know you've got your your art show you've got your gamers you've got your uh creative anachronists um doing uh you know amazing work and you know reenacting battles and creating uh, astounding costumes you've got the costume fandom you've got the movie fandom you got the subset trek fandoms and at a convention like Vicon. It all comes together, or other conventions that may be like an anime conference only, and that's what almost all of it is about
0: uh, in uh talking talking with um, say other other fans because uh, because there's a was there's a bisfa get together on Mondays and uh zooming and uh, it, it's it's great say for myself i'll be hearing people talking about. Um, conventions, like, say, going back decades, going back 50 years plus. Um, and, and the conversation is sort of talking about, uh, you know, is this a death spiral? Uh, you know, there have been death spirals before, um, you know, or, but say, is it shifting? Is it changing? Uh, how, what, what do you feel about the, say, the, the future of science fiction uh, conventions and fandom?
1: Um, science fiction seems to be getting more popular, not less. Um, the perception of the decline comes in some cases where, um, you may have like some conventions are losing numbers, but, uh, other conventions are gaining numbers as well. Mm. Um, and if we knew the formula for making sure that people went to one, you know, and, and the other one as well, you know, we, or why this story or why this publication or this movie is doing better. You know, if we knew the formula to make that work, we'd be, we'd be trillionaires. But yeah, um, the, the top grossing movies, when you see them in, you know, popular movies, science fiction is huge. And it, there's huge competition for that, um, not just in the, the, the large scale, but in the small scale. Like I said, I mentioned other, other magazines in addition to Neoopsis the technology to print small runs is way better than it was in the 50s when you had very few science fiction magazines. So there are a lot of science fiction magazines out there right now. Now, ours is the one you should decide first to come and subscribe to, and but you should also consider the other ones, you know, second, third, fourth, and fifth, of course. But <laughs> and there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of competition in the field, and that's part of what, creates the perception of a decline it's like well why why you know isn't this selling that well it's because there's there's so much you can buy mm-hmm. um i gotta tell a dave duncan story again about the yes. uh, the amount of science fiction available when when dave was at uh, worldcon in toronto i think 2006 he saw robert silverberg um extremely prolific writer now dave like i said has got 60 novels under his under his belt and he feels like an amateur beside uh, Silverberg, with something like eight hundred novels under his belt, and uh, Dave talked to him briefly and he said, "So what do you think of the convention?" And they were in the dealer's' room at the time, and it was gigantic dealers' room and full of all sorts of things, but full of huge numbers of, of publishers um, there and uh, Silverberg said, "You know, I think there are more books in this room than I would ever care to read and Dave said, "Yeah, but there aren't more books than you've written." <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, yeah, um, that's, that's driving some of the perception of decline. Um, I note the, uh, the anime convention that goes on at UVic, uh, University of Victoria every year seems to be getting more and more people. It's been running a long time now and they're, they're up, coming up on like 1500, 1600 people. They're pulling more and more people in. So it may be that the f- focused conventions on, you know, one thing draws more people in, um, that I'm not sure. Um, it might be that it's at a university, so you know it's and it's a lot of locals, so people aren't having to rent hotel rooms, which can get expensive to, to go to conventions. Mm-hmm. Uh, the gaming conventions were drawing three thousand people in Victoria. Uh, uh, they're not running right now, of course, COVID and things like that. Um, comic cons are drawing huge numbers of people and it may be that the people who might go to the small cons that are declining you know are deciding well i want to go to the giant expo cons in, in la and things like that instead but again it's a competition thing it's you know we have a what's the term a might plague of choices there are so many
0: right? uh, uh, with the promotion um say marketing is that is that something of a concern or like say do you have um the avenues that you have are are they enough, or do you say uh, would you go to conventions and get a table and or do some kind of activity to promote? Yeah, that's
1: one of the things we do. Um, we've uh, sent uh, news announcements about the magazine to to local news, and uh, there's there's an art to that, and I, I've got it a little bit. There are some people who are geniuses, but essentially you're saying to the newspaper, we want a free ad on your front page, you know, or in, in your page right. about how great we are you know as a publication but you're wording it as this is news that's interesting to your your newspaper and uh, um, you know like when we started up um, lots of lots of local news was quite interested in, in telling the story but if it's we have issue 31 out here tell a story about us it sounds just like you know we'll, we'll buy an ad if you want to be in our newspaper
0: So <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, okay. the people who are experts at promotion I salute you
1: um, I'm only moderately
0: good at promoting. So I guess it, it, yeah, making it relevant somehow, connecting it with the readership, and it, and too with though with science fiction, uh, like the you know that it is popular in, um, say you know movies, television more so, uh, you know there's probably a, a greater sort of openness to it. Hmm. Uh, getting back to that, uh, the beginnings of Neoopsis, uh, what was, was there some kind of say turning point? I, I might've talked with you about this before, but what was there say? When, uh, I mentioned a bit on Vicon that, that Stephanie and I work for Disney
1: Interactive and, you know, we're basically surrounded by this, this great creative, uh, creative feedback of, of, you know, people working together as a team on, on complex creative ideas And it's addictive, Um, Mm. and that's part of why we decided to do Neoopsis. Another part was that uh, after being laid off, um, there was a thing called the the, oh, some employment skills training work that uh, the Canadian government does, and they have a, a they maybe they still have it. I don't know. This was in 2006. They had a program where if you come up with a new business. Um, Then they will allow you to stay on unemployment for a certain unemployment insurance for a certain amount of time while you develop your business, Mm. which normally if if you're not actively searching for work, then you're not eligible. But if you if you take these classes that explain some of the basics of business and you write up a good business case and you qualify, then they will say, yes, we think you have a good chance of starting a business, then you're allowed to go on you're allowed to stay on unemployment for, you know, X number of months. So you have a bit of a basic income and it's a way for the government to, uh, to help some new small businesses start up. And we did qualify for that. And that helped us out, uh, you know, turning point. That was a thing that, okay, well, this, this will give us, uh, you know, a few dollars at least at the start um, and not have to rely on instantly being able to have huge sales and it's not just a publishing thing there's all sorts of businesses like one person did uh, he set up an ele- you know, he was an electrician he set up his own company and there was people setting up massage therapy ones and one person was opening up a company to sell a, a type of sugar free chocolate and things like that so the, the government support for that sort of idea I think was really good and that they weren't just throwing money at anybody who said I'm going to sell Raggedy Ang dolls out of my basement and not actually." do it um, they make sure if you're going to be getting this unemployment money that there's a reasonable expectation that you're going to work on the business right.
0: and uh, yeah as a taxpayer i think it was a good uh, a good program and and m- moving forward with Neoopsis, oh i wanted to ask about um uh the title and was was that sort of lightning in a jar I'm not sure if i said that right but it, that say was it just sort of a moment of inspiration, or was it something you were kicking around for a while?
1: Um, we actually thought up a number of ideas first. Um, uh, one off the top of my head I thought was interesting was Tau Factor. Um, it sounded like an interesting one. Um, so we, we threw together a lot of ideas, and there's at the time, we realized that titles were had new considerations that publications didn't have in the pre-internet days that you want a title that if somebody searches on it, your publication is going to come up. Like if we named our, uh, magazine stars magazine, say, if somebody searches on the word stars and magazine, they're probably going to get huge numbers of magazines that aren't ours. Mm. You know, the, they'll be about, uh, you know, um, famous people who are in movies or astronomy magazines or astronomy but if somebody searches neoopsis which means new opinion or new view um, they will get to our site or they will get to somebody mentioning our site because it's a neologism it's it's a new term so at the same time you don't want to name your company or your magazine subletima uh, because even though any search on subletima properly spelled will come to your site Nobody's going to remember how to spell it. Where "neoopsis" is actually fairly easy to remember.
0: Yeah, it does and also get...
1: with the the O hyphen O looks like a pair of glasses, which suggests you're reading something. And uh, Stephanie's actually done a, an, a fun little uh, bit of art of a, an alien looking through the O, the two O's with his eyes and the little line looking like he's the, like the uh,
0: yeah, title
1: yeah. is part of his, his glasses
0: spectacles. Uh,
1: so yeah, it's. Uh,
0: We'll say, uh, yeah, so that's,
1: that's where it came from.
0: Uh, going from, say, creative collaboration at uh, Disney to uh, creative forms of, of collaboration. It, do you, let's see, I have met writers who are totally opposed to any kind of change, or say, you know, it, it's very minor changes, uh, but they ha- they're highly opinionated and uh, resistant in, in a way it's a strange thing say getting into um, a writing group or a critique group and uh, all of a sudden finding people are just you know they'll shut down and they'll go no you're just supposed to enjoy what I've done <laughs> you don't suggest changes or have opinions
1: um, yeah I get, the, I, I get the point too Like uh, sometimes change is scary sometimes it's wonderful um, some people prefer one or the other um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, if somebody looks at the magazine and goes, well, I, you don't have stories just like the first three issues, um, no, we're going to have something new each time, but still hopefully within a certain tone and a certain uh, a certain taste that they still might like it, um, if, if I'm understanding your question correctly. Um, yeah. Um, it can it can happen at anything at convention. People like, well, I I want it to be exactly like it was last year, well, you know, or, or when I was young, and well, mm-hmm. things things change over time, you know. And we've got younger people who are interested in this instead, and they want to focus on this now. And those are okay, and it's also okay if you if you want things to stay the same too, right? Um, they're they're they are just opinions yeah. on uh, on what's best. In writer's workshops, you get some people with, I want it to go this way, because we're often taught that there are rules of writing. Um, In school, I was taught, you know, you do it this way or you're wrong. Mm. Um, That's a good example. In grade three, we were taught that if you wrote a story and you said, Dave said, Marcia said, um, Bob said, and only use the word said, then you're cheating and you're trying to make it easy. You should say, Bob exclaimed and uh, Marcia questioned and, uh, so-and-so asked. And you usually said bookisms instead of just said, mm-hmm. and that this is a rule. You have to know this, you know, and this was teachers were being authoritarian to us. So you do it this way where if you read, uh, most writers guides now say it's okay to just say said, or if it's obvious who's speaking, drop the said from it. Um, yeah, like the opposite of what they're taught. And these yeah. rules of writing, um, once somebody learns a rule, sometimes they're resistant to learn that that may not be the best way to do things. And that can happen in writing, too. Um, with rules of writing, it's like people have looked at stories that were successful over the centuries and said, well, okay, they've done this, they've got, you know, character development, they've got uh, foreshadowing of events later on they've got this, they've got this sort of style and they notice those common features to what are good stories, so they think those must be rules that I have to follow right. and uh, I, again, I have to mention Robert Silverberg again, I saw him at a convention at Beacon uh, where he said you, you can break any of the rules you've been taught of writing as long as you can make it interesting and if you can't make it interesting, then maybe you should do something other than be a writer.
0: That's, <laughs> he was, that's the point. He,
1: then he looked really aghast, like maybe I shouldn't have said that, but
0: he <laughs> has made the
1: point. It's, do it interesting. Like, um, I, I use the rule of thumb, you know, if I've got a new character show up in a scene, three points of description, then get to the action or dialogue. If there's a new scene, three points of description, action or dialogue. You know, like rather than drag out, you know, Bob had, blue pants and green socks and he had shoelaces with yellow aglets on them and it ended up going on and on and on but at the same time if you're really good at those descriptions and they're interesting you can put like 100 points of description before you get to the action or dialogue or you know tammy's friend dave came in you can go right to the dialogue as long as the dialogue draws you in yeah um but those there's a difference between a rule of thumb and a rule and some people get very officious about what they think are the proper rules of writing, so in the writer's workshop they may tell you you're doing something wrong that may be a huge success for other people. Uh,
0: with, uh, with Neoopsis, uh, say, when, with the first issue, and then going up to the most recent, was it, did you say it was the 30th? 31 is the current one, 31. yeah. Working uh, on 32 right now. Uh, d- is, do you have a sort of sense of say, say things have changed um, that say say like say, how you're doing the oopsis? Has there been a change, or has it pretty much stayed stayed the same that you have um, say like that preference that is kind of not written in stone, but it, it's just uh, keeps it moving in a sense?
1: Um, I think I've uh, was doing some things that I didn't necessarily realize like if we we, we often have a science column in the story. And I don't just present the science news. I try and present why it's interesting or why it's related to science fiction. Or, um, you know, if it's space-related, I may just say it, because I think that's kind of inherently science fiction-y. You know, they landed a probe on an asteroid. is quite neat. But I want to try and put a point in that why I'm telling you this in a science fiction magazine. like uh, So there's not a, well, what's your point in telling me this? You know, I can read this news. Because... It's the same with uh, when I do the uh, uh, walk-through-the-periodic-chart uh, articles. Somebody, if they want to learn about molybdenum, can go to the Wikipedia page and read about molybdenum. If, if I want them to read my point, it's because I'm going to have a, hopefully, a slightly different and new and maybe fun and interesting slant on it. And maybe in a way that will... Uh, Related to science fiction to an extent, they're reading a science fiction magazine. If if I tell them you know whatever, you know, libdum was used by the king of England uh, to do this in 1732, and then I just throw that as a factoid, people might think, like, well, why are you telling me that here? You know. So um, planes, trains, and automobiles. When Steve Martin says to John Candy, you know, when you tell these little stories, have a point. It makes it more interesting for the listener. And I realized. In the initial ones, I was, you know, in the articles, I was trying to have a point. It's just I didn't, uh, I didn't see the flavor of it necessarily. That oh yeah, well, well, I was doing what I'm still doing now, but I, I'm, I'm more conscious that I'm doing it.
0: Right, right.
1: If that makes any sense.
0: <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. No, no, no. Because they, you know, starting off uh, with uh, a project, um, a long running project that say. Um, Get, get, sort of getting into the not. I want to. Well, I'm saying the flow. I guess flow state. Um, but just say that it becomes easier and, and uh, it, it's it's not so difficult as the first one. Was it? Uh, yeah. Let's say when and you I'm, and I, I go right to
1: it more than I did in the past. Like um, mm. uh, a a little bit of a spoiler for issue thirty two. I've got a little mention that the the, uh, the China um, and the uh, I think it's pronounced Chang'e five lander landed on the moon oh, and brought uh, a sample return back, which is amazing. First time since uh, the Americans brought uh, materials and the Russians brought a small amount from robots back from the moon. Right. So it's, it's, it's a really amazing get of, of news on its own that this probe went to the moon. But I wanted to science fiction it up a bit where I mentioned that you know um, essentially – they Returned with roughly two kilograms of rock and regolith. I said, you know, and Apollo 11, 12, 14, 15, 16, and 17 brought back about 382 kilograms of rock, and the Soviets brought back about uh, 384 kilograms of rock. Right. And we've left probes and other things on the moon, so I said, essentially after about I think it's uh yeah nine point seven six trillion years at this rate we will have brought the entire moon to the earth and left the entire earth on the moon. So basically <laughs> we were switching places of these planets.
0: <laughs> and and uh, so
1: hopefully a fun point, but it's it's more than just the news. It's you know um but I'm aware that this is what I'm aiming for is this kind of hopefully you know and and that's not going to be everybody's thing right you know if your thing is uh crochet or football or something else uh, that that's great but this isn't your magazine but it it seems to be that uh this sort of thing is is working well
0: with the audience well, and and uh, as, uh, to use the words uh, earlier it's interesting and it has a point mm-hmm. and and you know that that i think definitely has has audience, even like you, you'd said, say some of the readers are, um, you know, they're not science fiction people, but, and, and yet they've not, not been won over, but say, um, that I I like the idea say that some, you know, good storytelling is where anybody can sit down and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't matter whether it's science fiction or fantasy or, uh, anything that, you know, that they'll come away from it with, uh, you know whatever it is that that part of ourselves that craves storytelling that's going to be satisfied
1: yeah something interesting about it like i i'm, I'm unlikely to go to a crochet convention but there are things about crochet i found interesting you know uh, um oh yeah one of the people that on was crocheting a little yoda hat for for her nephew and it was really cool right um I'm not going to look at it and go, that's not my topic. I'm a snob. I'm going to stay away from it. So, yeah, um, some people have a talent to take any topic and pull the interesting bits out of it. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty good at pulling the trivia out of any topic. So if if somebody's already fascinated by the trivia of that topic, um, then, you know, I've got that audience down. But I strive to be one of those people who can uh, tell the science stories so that anybody likes them. And it's the same with anything. A, a hockey story, like yeah. my wife uh, doesn't want to watch professional hockey, but she likes watching movies about uh, hockey teams on occasion, or she likes watching our games. Or I will tell her an interesting sub story of the game. But there's a lot of things that uh, a hockey fan will find fascinating. She won't necessarily find fascinating. So, well, but,
0: w- yeah. with the amount of uh, science fiction uh, publications. And into ongoing and our ongoing interest. Um what what would you say into just personally, what what is it that um draws our interest? My myself included. Um Carl <laughs> What is the secret? Why what is it? Uh, why are we uh why do we return and then apparently, you know, more and more, uh is it is it that we're looking to the stars that say, you know, it's becoming more you know this notion of of traveling in space, colonizing planets. You know, is is that where this is going? That say that the, the exploration n- aspect is one point of it. Um, and
1: but um, at the same time, arguably, the TV shows that are about forensics are science fiction. There are people using science and technology to solve complex problems in the story, um, and some people find those quite fascinating too. I think it's you're looking for that. It's unusual and it's interesting, like that combo mm-hmm. um, that they're they are fun and interesting um, and I think Star Trek's huge success was so much of their story was. Well, somebody like me could be a part of something like that. I wouldn't necessarily be an astronaut on a ship, but look, they've got a whole bunch of different types of people there. It's They're not all the same. So if, if I want to watch the story and imagine myself in it, I can. And I think science fiction was a little ahead of the curve on that hyper-involvement. Um, now, that can happen to a fault, too, when you decide this story will be better as long as we have, you know, a... a this exact collection of demographics in the story. And I think it, it helps, but it's not enough. Um, you know, Just if uh, you, know, you have people of every color on earth in your story, good, but it still better be a good story. <laughs> it's, it's not enough to do it. But Star Trek's jumping into that and going, okay, look at all these interesting things going on and look at all these different types of people participating and I expect that's part of why it's the most successful uh, franchise in the history of science fiction.
0: Um, and on that well, note, on yeah. that note, <laughs> uh, and two famous well, last words. Uh, that's go- off the top of my head. So hopefully I worded
1: that well. And, you know, oh, I yeah, you did. I to, to be inclusive and, and not, like it's, it's conceivable I worded it
0: in a in a misinterpretable way. But yeah, um, I, I mean that quite genuinely. That, no, uh, no. And no uh, I- I, I got it too, and uh, for me it's the it's the narrative. It's sort of like the human narrative, and um, I I see such humanity in science fiction um, that say yeah. uh, you know big questions, big questions. Yeah. Uh, some of it, some yeah, of
1: it too, it may answer the overall what's the success, what's the secret to Star Trek or to uh, to to writing good science fiction I'm slightly colorblind so a lot of colors that people think are appropriate to use a lot of things are kind of dull to me like almost all buildings are dull colors and I always Mm. wondered well why don't they use like bright vivid colors that are fun and interesting and well some people find those gaudy but on uh, Classic Trek they have lots of bright colored lights everywhere and lots of bright colored uniforms because they knew people had their brand new color TVs and that, you know, we better get in on this color thing and go with the bright colors, you know, and then they go to the
0: movies and they went, the first movie went to kind of dull, dull, boring colors to me.
1: Part of why I didn't like the movie was the colors were kind of boring to me. Um, So maybe that's one of the big ones is, you know, have your, have your flashing lights and your, your cool designs and that sort of thing it's part of what attracts to it um the the superhero genre you know some of the bright bright colored costumes that's that's part of what's drawing people in is that you know in the same way that uh, a garden with lots of very vivid brightly colored flowers will attract some people's attention um, okay. but again it's not enough you know you can't just say you know, if you write a story and keep describing what color everything is it's you know, and nothing happens in the story other than that. It's probably not going to be a success. So. But if I had that formula, um, you know, I would, uh, I would have sold a lot more stories than I had.
0: <laughs> Carl, uh, thank you very much. It's 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 been fantastic talking with you.
1: Oh, thanks much. Yeah, and uh, uh, I look forward to hearing it when it's out.
0: Yeah, uh, Neo Neoopsis is uh, is it at neoopsis.ca?
1: Yes, you know, it's just on CA. Come on by, grab uh, back issues of the paper copies or uh, copies of the digital ones, either one. Uh, you, there's advantages to both. Fantastic. And you'll see some, uh, some of the creative works of a lot of wonderful people.
0: All right.